From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm your host today, filling in for Dr. Michelle Owens. Today, our special guest is Dr. David Elkin. He is the director of the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMC. And I know this is not the kids and teens show, but... uh, as we all know, as women, you're only as happy as your least happy child, correct? So today we're going to talk about issues with parenting, how to relieve some of that stress of parenting, some real good advice, because we're always preoccupied with our kiddos. If you want to share your comments and experiences, please do so by calling us at one eight seven seven mpb ring And from um, MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women. Today, our guest today is Dr. David Elkin from the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMC. He is a child psychologist. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I am a surgical pathologist and a woman. And David, although you're a man, Dr. Elkin, you have extensive experience with women because your house is populated by many women. Is that correct? This is true. I'm overwhelmed, but it's a good thing. <laughs> How many daughters do you have? We have four girls. <laughs> four girls. So it's it's very apropos that you are on Southern Remedy for Women. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, as, as I mentioned at the top of the show that Although this is a show about women's health, as women, we tend to apply a lot of weight to our children's well-being. Being a parent is a tremendous responsibility and job, and it can be a, while it's a great source of joy, it can be a great source of stress as well. And uh, I've often found as a parent myself that having my own setbacks and things like that, it, they stink and, and you hate to have it, but to watch your child have setbacks and challenges is a million times worse. I'd much rather have those things happen to me than to my child where I really can't control it. Sometimes you you know, you know have a limited uh, amount of help that you can get for certain things, or at least you feel that way. So I, I think this is a great a great show to bring for women and also for men. You guys, you guys are the other half of the parenting duo. So as we always say here on Southern, Southern Remedy for Women, it's a show for women and the men who love them, right? So, Dr. Elkin, why don't you tell me about yourself? Tell our listeners about yourself, about your practice, where you're from. So, I'm uh, from Mississippi. Um, my dad is from Kosciuszko. I went through fourth grade here, uh, and then we moved to Memphis. Um, so, I went to high school in Memphis, and I came back here after training abroad, you know, around, and came back from my first job at UMC. And I've been very happy uh, here. You've never left. I know you can't leave. You have to come back. <laughs> That's right. And Memphis is in our listening audience. We get a lot of callers from from the the Tennessee area. Okay, so when what is the Center for the Advancement of Youth? How did that come to be, and, and what do you guys do there? So um, to achieve a center status, you, know, you have to bring together multiple disciplines. And what we've tried to do at UMC is have one shop, if you will, for kids and adolescents with developmental, behavioral, emotional, psychological problems like that. And so currently we have physicians, we have psychologists, we have nurse practitioners, social workers, um, folks like that. Um, we're looking forward to adding in child psychiatry here soon. 
And so basically the, the, the emphasis here is to make it a seamless one-stop shop for a caregiver, like a mom. So she doesn't have to worry about, do I have to go to this practitioner or that practitioner? She can come to one place and get her questions answered and her child cared for. Yeah, because that process can be and often is very overwhelming. It is. Um, it's something that if you've not had to navigate the mental health world, uh, it, it's sort of daunting. Sometimes it's hard to get resources. Um, mental health has a taboo. Mm-hmm. Uh, some folks, in fact, I was um, having dinner with a group of ladies last night, and uh, we were all of different cultures. And some of them were saying that, that in their culture, it's, it's something that you just don't talk about and you don't admit to having these sorts of problems and things like that. And although it is 2018, that is still something that, that unfortunately we see quite a bit, isn't it? That's true. That's very true. So um, do you find that certain populations are less represented or how do you dispel those types of of, of of myths and preconceived notions about mental health, especially so, with children. With, with kids, exactly. So the focus we try to take is on the child's well-being. It's not a question of labeling a child as this diagnosis or that diagnosis. It's a question of can we help your child achieve what he or she um, is you know, destined, in a sense, to achieve and to try to help parents get them down the pathway. So instead of labeling it, um, we try to just um, focus on the intervention. How can we help? And I think that takes away some of the taboo, I hope. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great way to think about it, kind of turning it around. Mm-hmm. And speaking of labels, there are lots of labels around today. I, the first one that comes to mind is the spectrum. You know, oh, this kid must be on the spectrum. And what does that mean? I, I think we are labeling almost more than we used to, making um, suppositions about children, um, watching them kind of like a hawk for mm-hmm. odd behaviors or anything um, out of the ordinary. Uh, do you find that that is a term that's overused? Uh, perhaps. I think that we've seen an increase in children uh, diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Um, and so that's that's one thing to keep in mind is that more kids are being diagnosed um, on the spectrum, as you say. Um, but I also think that a lot of kids that we see, um, the parents come in with a question of whether they're on the spectrum. And it's really kind of a, a neat slash joyous thing to say to a parent, your child does not have autism. Your child has perhaps a specific reading disorder or perhaps ADHD or anxiety. Um, but I think a lot of parents are concerned that the child has autism because it, it's such a um, monolithic, uh, scary kind of term. Uh, and it, it's a kind of term that sticks with a child, you think, for the rest of his or her life. And so parents are really concerned about that diagnosis. Yeah, it's not necessarily something with a cure. Correct. Yeah, so it is really a a label. I want to go ahead and give out the phone number. I I know a lot of folks in the listening audience have questions for Dr. Elkin. Dr. Elkin is a tremendous resource, and we're very lucky to have him on the show today. So this is your chance to talk with him. If you have a story, um, uh, any sort of access issue or anything like that, please please give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. 672-7464. I know this can be a sensitive topic. You don't have to give us your real name. You can also email us at women at mpbonline.org. Our phone lines are open right now, so go ahead and give us a call. Uh, so what is the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? So a psychiatrist has a medical degree. So he or she went to medical school. They did a residency afterwards in psychiatry. And if they are a child psychiatrist, they do a fellowship after the residency. And they can prescribe medication and do therapy. Um, A psychologist cannot prescribe uh, medication. A psychologist has a Ph.D. or a PsyD or some such like that and is more of a counselor, talk therapist. Um, We use evidence-based 
behavioral and cognitive behavioral interventions. And so that that's where it comes in, where you talk about working as a multidisciplinary team. You talked about having psychologists and physicians and all types of folks. You have social workers and because it is such a complex process so that all the bases are, are covered how you need them to be at K. Correct. We try to get the child the correct treatment that he or she needs. So once we sort of have an idea of what's going on, it may be this child will benefit from meeting with a social worker for, say, eight sessions or meeting with um, a psychologist and a nurse practitioner to handle medication or developmental behavioral pediatrician and a social worker. It just it depends on what the child is facing and what the family is facing, and we try mm-hmm. to tailor the treatment to the needs of the child. How old usually is a child when they first see, and I know that you see a lot of variation in this, but what is the typical path that you see with a child with, let's say, ADHD? So typically, you see kids who have difficulty concentrating, paying attention. They tend to be impulsive. And, uh, they tend to sort of bounce around. Although, you, know, you typically think of ADHD as you know, the child who can't sit still, is on the go all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the term is they act as if they're driven by a motor. But oftentimes you see the inattentive type, um, and those types tend to get overlooked. They, they look like a child is just sort of sitting there zoning out, but they may not attract the attention of a teacher because they're not causing problems. Um, and so you know, they're not rising to the, the level of you know, red flag in a classroom. But you start seeing some of these things typically when school picks up, when school gets difficult. Now, to be fair, a lot of the things I've just discussed are typical for kids. Kids, right, exactly. Uh, they're on the go. I have two boys. That's exactly how they are, right? So it, it describes normally developing, typically developing kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically what we see is kids having a hard time with grades and grades and school starting to fall off because of the kids' impulsivity, inattention, you know, lack of concentration, that kind of stuff. Yeah, things that were more uh, acceptable perhaps in the kindergarten setting, and you know, where you could be more disruptive. Everyone kind of was. They're, they're kind of fall off the, the curve when they have to sit down and work through some math problems or something. I Correct. Suppose. With compulsory education, we have these classrooms where, you know, for right or for wrong, a child has to sit still and stand in line and be quiet and raise their hand. And that doesn't work for all kids, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so for listeners that aren't familiar, although I feel like everyone's heard of ADHD at, at this point almost, but that's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, right? Correct. So you talked about kind of the two facets of that, the daydreamers, kind of the attention deficit, and then the hyperactivity folks, and then I guess they're combinations of the two? Correct. So um, oftentimes parents will come in and say, I think my child has ADD, not the hyperactivity. Ah. The, the technical term is ADHD. So you know that's the technical term. But then there are different subtypes. There's the um, primarily hyperactive, primarily inattentive, the combined type. So you can have different subtypes of ADHD that describe more adequately what the child is facing. And it's not unique to children, right? I mean, we see this in adults. Is that right? I mean, I know know you treat children, uh, but I feel like I want to diagnose myself with that quite frequently, (laughs) right? I'm doing too many things. Uh, I think this is true for a lot of women in particular, kind of. People who have to multitask, we feel like we have attention deficit disorder. I know my girlfriends and I always talk about this. It's true because I think much more is put on us now Mm -hmm. as a society to keep up with things. There are so many things you have to keep up with, not just on your cell phone, but schedules, uh, work, um, taking care of the kids, uh, making sure everything gets done. And there's so much there, you know, we tend to forget things every now and then. Part of that's normal. There's only so much our brain can handle. But part of it, if it tips over into where it's problematic and affecting, let's say, the woman's life or her relationships or her ability to care for her kids, then maybe she ought to get it checked out. Mm-hmm. 
And when you talk about caring for kids, and this is a big part of the reason I wanted to have you in today, I wanted to talk about strategies for some common uh, childhood psychological issues that our listeners can use at home to try to be more a more effective parent or lessen stress and things like that. For parents who are uh, parenting a child with, for instance, ADHD, what are some of the common stressors you see in the home? Uh, oftentimes, you know, the home for most moms or caregivers feels hectic and out of control um, because there's just chaos. Chaos <laughs> reigns. And that's no fault of her own. Um, it's just the way, you know, having a child like that sort of leads life to be. Um, one of the best things a parent can do, we, we tell parents all the time, it's better to be consistent than right. It's better to be consistent with your kids and to have, if you will, a schedule. But that's that varies from family to family. Mm-hmm. Some families are by nature just much more relaxed and wide open, and that works for them. You know, so it's 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 not a good idea to say every family has to do the exact same thing, because that's tr- trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to tailor your interventions to how the family operates and the things that they consider important. Yeah, absolutely. So it uh, it's kind of like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. And I, you know, I'm happy to disclose I have a child who's been diagnosed with ADHD, and sometimes um, he's ten now, and it is getting a bit better, but sometimes. I or often I blame myself. I say, "Oh well, my lack of discipline or the way that I run the home is is the cause of this." So you you said the home can feel chaotic because of the condition, or is the condition worsened because it's chaotic, or both? I think the latter. Mm-hmm. I think the the con, uh, the home life. You know, how much control or schedule whatever you have in the home is you know in a large part dictated by the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so parents can try to put down as many you know. I guess, rules and regulations they can. But to answer your question, it's a good one. You have to remember ADHD is a brain disorder. So it is. Um, it has to do with brain development and whether the frontal lobes are kicking in in terms of ability to restrain yourself, to control impulses, to concentrate, pay attention. So it's not something that a parent actually makes their child into. So if you have a, if you have a typically developing child and you have a family that's very sort of not rule bound, not many schedules, that child um, may pick up some of those sort of character traits, if you will, but you're not making a child ADHD. Um, However, if you have an ADHD child and um, you sort of let the home be driven entirely by the child, it could amplify some of those things. Absolutely. And and having two kids, I can tell you that what works for my ADHD child is different from my child who does not have ADHD. Um, but sometimes uh, I think it's easy for folks to, from the outside looking in to say, oh, well, obviously that child is not disciplined enough. They don't punish that child enough. Or, you know, people give you like to give you all these examples. Oh, oh when I was a kid, oh, I would have got the, uh, you know, the mess beaten out of me or this and that. I mean, For a child with ADHD, I think what you're saying here is so important. It is a brain disorder. We know this from science and from a fact. It is not a disciplining issue where we're letting them rule our lives and things like that. So I think that's something. It's not your fault. Don't feel guilty, moms and dads out there. I couldn't agree more. That's one of the first things we say. You Mm -hmm. you haven't done this. You haven't created this. Now you can be a partner in helping this child. You know, and that's what we want to come alongside uh, parents and moms and caregivers and say, let's help you. Um, there are things you can do to make this a little bit less chaotic. Yeah, absolutely. 
I do want to give out the, the number one more time. It is one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 Today we're talking about all sorts of issues around um, childhood development, childhood mental issues and things like that, how that impacts the home and your, and your parenting. You can also email us at women at mpbonline.org. We're going to take our first break of the show. Uh, this is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women, uh, the show all about women's health, women's issues, given from a woman's perspective. And today, that's mine. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Uh, I'm a surgical pathologist. My guest today is Dr. David Elkin. He is a child psychologist and director of the Center for Advancement of Youth at UMMC here in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, we were talking uh, about things that can be uh, stressful as, as parents um, from a kind of a parent's point of view in the household, how we can help children that are maybe having developmental issues, how we can ease stress at home, because uh, I think it's safe to say that when we're stressed out as parents, that affects our children. Uh, Parents who come home and bring their stress home from whether it's the workplace, from peers, you know, personal relationships. I think kids really, and you can speak to this, I'm sure, Kids are very smart, right? I mean, they're very astute, and they're watching you. Even when they're looking at that TV, you can tell them to go put their shoes away a thousand times. They don't hear you, but you say that thing that you don't want them to hear, and they hear it immediately. What? Very good point. So uh, can we talk about the how, the impact of stress, maybe financial stress, anything? There are so many things to be stressed about as a parent. What impact does that have on children? I think it, it trickles down um, mm-hmm. because, you know um, – a parent is modeling all the time uh, how uh, a child should interact with the world, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, a huge pressure point. Wow. Yeah, that, exactly. That's something to think about. And that's pretty a, heavy. It's huh? a huge pressure point for me especially. Um, and I think having that um, – having a plan in place perhaps to where you try to manage that stress, um, it, it sounds silly, but I'll, I'll give a personal example. So what I really try to do – it sounds kind of odd, I know, but what I really try to do when I drive home after work is – I literally picture sort of the stress is flying out the window. And when I get home, I sort of mentally almost like hang up um, on the, the wall before I walk in the house, the stresses of the day. It's like you're walking into something with everything sort of removed. You walk into the home with all this, the worries of the work world removed. Doesn't work all the time. Mm-hmm. I promise you, it sounds great. It doesn't work right, all right. the time. <laughs> and I walk in, I'm grumpy and all that kind of stuff. So if a parent can find a way to manage her stress, if she can find a way to find relief with friends, um, exercise, self-care, um, you're, self-care not, you're not being selfish. You're, you're taking care of yourself so that you can do, do a better job with your kids. Yeah. Dr. Owens would roll her eyes, but I always bring it back to group fitness because yeah, if anyone that listens to the show regularly knows, I teach group fitness and it's a huge stress reliever for me. And what I often tell, partic- particularly the women in my class, 
is don't feel guilty about spending this 50 minutes away from your children. Because especially for working moms, although I see, frankly, also in moms that stay home, we feel very guilty about this issue of self-care. But it Mm -hmm. makes you better overall. You have to invest in yourself. Uh, You're not going to drive a car that is never maintained. You don't ever put air in the tires. I mean, at some point, it's just not going to work anymore. Your personal well-being, I can't emphasize enough to the listeners out there, you need to take care of yourself. Uh, on that note, we do have our first caller. We have Sue from from Beaumont. Hi, Sue. Um, y'all have this uh, topic come up. I always call because I feel sorry for the kids because I feel like society, our society, is determined to try to pound square pegs into round holes and have every child be alike and act alike. In other words, conform or be medicated. I'd like to ask, how does Ritalin and Upper and Stimulant, how does that help to help a child calm down who is who is already overactive and stimulated? That is a great question, Sue, because it is kind of the opposite of what you would think, right? Dr. Elkin, can you enlighten us on that? Well, I would point to um, probably the effect you have, Sue, uh, if you drink coffee in the morning, it just sort of... Uh, sharpens you, focuses you, and to a very lesser extent. It's a very bad comparison. But stimulants act in that way. If you think about a child or an adult who's bouncing around, paying attention to everything, and suddenly you give them a cup of coffee. Don't do that. But if you give them a (laughs) cup of coffee or a stimulant, exactly, they they tend to focus. If you think about this, um, attention is made to wander. It's supposed to wander. It's healthy for the species. So if you're sitting here talking on the phone and suddenly you hear a door slam or something else happen, you shift your attention. That's adaptive. That's good. What's a problem is when you can't bring that attention back. You know, you can't snatch it back in a sense. And that's the problem that a lot of these kids and adults have. Um, So a stimulant helps sort of in a sense help that kid bring it back and focus on something even though they pay attention to something in the classroom, say another student clicking their pencil or whatever, they can come back. And that's how stimulants work. Uh, they sort of fire up that ability in a, in a child's brain to bring their attention back to where it should be. Does that make sense, Sue? So it's kind of, it's almost like the inhibitory energy isn't there. And that's what the stimulation is driving, the ability to curtail almost and, and to refocus. Well, do, do kids ever grow out of this need for stimulants? I mean, uh, when they're adults, can they, when, when do they grow old enough or their brain grows enough or matures enough that they can stop taking stimulants to act like everybody else? Great question. And we hear that all the time. Um, actually, a large number of kids grow out of it. If you think about this, uh, if you think about ADHD as a brain disease, it has to do with the frontal part of your brain, that big lump above your eyes that we have that my dog doesn't have, you know, that makes us My human. dog has it, I think. I don't know. He's a, he's a real person. But go on. Yeah, okay. But anyway, um, and so that ability really doesn't come online until late teens, early 20s in humans, later in males, and you can start the jokes now. Um, <laughs> it is a women's show. It is a women's show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it comes online later. So what you do with the medication now for some kids, uh, a surprising number of kids, is you buy them time. You help them compensate so that the brain does develop, and when the brain does develop and shows the ability to you know, inhibit or shift attention or focus and concentrate, they can come off the medication. So Do I think have withdrawal symptoms from all the stimulants? No, ma'am. That's the great thing about these stimulants. Um, they really are short-acting. 
Um, the half-life on a lot of these is four hours, meaning half of that medicine is gone in four hours. So it's not like an antidepressant or something like that that takes weeks and weeks to build up, and then you have withdrawal when you come off of it. Not at all. Um, A lot of these kids, when they get older, find they don't need the medication anymore as adults. And that's a a great, great thing. We're very happy for that. Absolutely. And for anyone that's uh, had a child with ADHD that's been on medication or has known one, you can tell that because when they get home from school, when it gets close to dinner time, they start climbing up off the walls again. I mean, it's obvious that the medication is gone, that the, it is not at a therapeutic level anymore. So those are very short acting. Uh, and uh, what Sue, so Sue kind of echoed what you'd said about fitting a round peg into a square hole or, or, or vice versa. Um, we see that a lot in the, the education system, like you kind of mentioned before. And we were talking at the break about environment uh, and and the restraints or the um, just the expectations you put on a child during the school day or even at home and how that can differ from child to child. Right. So if you think back, um, so I have to justify my history degree at some point. My, my dad made fun of me when I was going to major in history and philosophy. He said, oh, that's a good job, son. You can get a job at the philosophy factory. So I have to justify my history major. <laughs> if you think back in the history of humankind, it really wasn't until about 150 years ago where we started having compulsory education. Um, where kids were sitting in a classroom in rows and having to pay attention over a long period of time. I can't do that. Uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> Much less than my 10-year-old, yeah. So this this thing that, that we are seeing, like say a lot of kids with ADHD, I think it's a product of kind of where we are in our culture. Um, in the 1820s, let's say, you know, kids are raised on farms and they studied probably from their mom, maybe from a private tutor, but from their mom or the grandmom, whatever, for an hour or two, then they worked out in the field. So there was no need to, in a sense, have this sustained attention over hours and hours. So what we're seeing is a different environment, uh, and humans are adapting to that or not adapting to it. Right, exactly. Well, Sue, thank you for your call. We always appreciate your calls, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. I want to give that number out again uh, for those of you calling with great questions like Sue had or comments. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or email us at women at mpbonline.org. We're about to go to our second break. This is Southern Remedy for Women from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy for Women. I am Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a surgical pathologist and your host today. Here with Dr. David Elkin, a child psychologist extraordinaire and the director of the Center for Advancement of Youth at UMMC. I am a fan 
of, of David Elkin. We have definitely been to the K Clinic, as we call it, C-A-Y, K Clinic, if you hear people refer to it that way. It's a tremendous resource for the state of Mississippi. It's very unique, I would say. Something. What, how long have you guys been around? Uh, now? About four or five years. Four or five years. Uh, and what was the impetus um, of the, or the need uh, behind developing this center? I give credit to full credit to my colleague and friend Susan Buttress. Oh, uh, we do, know Doctor Buttress, right? Friend. For those of you that listen on Tuesdays, right? She's awesome, and she's been a great friend and colleague. And we were just seeing patients and sharing patients back and forth, and we started talking. Why? Why don't we? Why don't we join forces? And why don't we start you know, practicing and seeing kids together in one unit? And we started off just me and her seeing patients together and it expanded and it became what it is now. So she gets full props. And I, I really appreciate that being a healthcare provider and understanding how many silos there are in healthcare and you're breaking one down. I mean, it's not patient focused for everyone to be functioning in their own little cubby and not talking to one each other. So props to you, Dr. Elkin. I want to give that number out one more time before we go to the phones. We have a, um, a few phone lines open, but they are filling up. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. or email us at women at mpvonline.org. Going to the phones, our first caller is Barbara. She's driving on the road, I hope hands-free. Hey, Barbara. Hey, hey, I'm on my Bluetooth. So All right. <laughs> well, thanks for your call. What's your question? Sure. Well, this is very interesting. This is an involved question, I guess, and, and, and I found, I'm glad I found your station because it's very interesting to me. My daughter, who's now 28 years old, she was diagnosed when she was five with attention deficit. Um, and she had, we, we tried all different kinds of different medications, uh, and nothing ever really seemed to work for her. It was, it made her in a zombie state. We tried different kinds, we tried different strengths, and we found, I finally just said, we're not doing it anymore. I can't take her personality away. She had trouble going through school. She barely made it through school. She, and she still has, a little difficulty with stuff. Um, we had her tested when she was 13, and they came up saying she had a processing problem. They explained it to us like it's just like having a file cabinet and throwing everything in it without putting it in alphabetical order. She doesn't know where to go to get to get information sometimes. I see her getting maturing up now at 28, but she still has difficulty with a lot of things, and she does have trouble concentrating. I, I just wanted to find out, have you ever had that Absolutely. And it's a great question because what your your question sort of points to is um, getting a, a correct diagnosis and getting a good sort of pulling things apart kind of diagnosis. So is it attention deficit, as you said, or is it a processing disorder, you know, processing speed or executive functioning disorder? And that's where I think you mentioned having her tested. That's where the testing really sort of um, reveals some of these more esoteric uh, difficulties. Remember, uh, human beings are very complex. Um, we have a lot of different things that can, in a sense, trip us up, if you will. And so I think what, right. what you're noting is a very good point. She may never have had attention deficit at all. That's why the stimulus didn't seem to help her. That's she, exactly what we thought, and that's yeah. why we just decided not to, not to keep those up. Can you tell me any advice what to, to help her now? I mean, she is working a full-time job, but there are just certain things that she just cannot really do very well. Oftentimes people with um, a sort of processing disorder, um, they have a hard time staying organized and, you know, like you said, retrieving information. Um, Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of odd, but if she can have someone assist her 
with some of that. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, we saw, uh, when I was training in Oklahoma, we saw a gentleman who was probably 55. He was an executive at an oil company, and he was extraordinarily disorganized. But he had several assistants around him who basically said, you know, Here's what you're going to say in this meeting. Here's this next thing. You go to this. And he he's shown because he had these skill sets that once you remove sort of the inability to organize, you, you sort of get him on, a, on a, the right track in a sense. He's shown. Mm-hmm. He just really just blossomed. She may not have people like that around her, but if she can have people to help her and keep her organized in a sense, that may allow her to blossom and to demonstrate okay. the, the good things that are in her head. Some people are super organized, but they can't function on other levels. It's, it's sort of unfair, right, that we all have these exactly different right. skill sets. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I, everyone's I, different. I work, with, I work with someone, too, who is, uh, who's very, very, uh, very smart, and, and he cannot function without his Adderall, and he's, he's 50 years old. Correct. Exactly. So, and, and I, I don't know. But anyway, I, I just wanted to know if there was, and, and that's a good point, because she's not organized, and that's something that she doesn't have around her to help her. Well, um, hopefully this helps a little bit. Okay. Well, thank you for the advice. I appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Thank, thanks for your call, Barbara. And I, th- I think that's so important, the importance of getting the correct diagnosis. We tend to lump people into these more common things. Common things are common. But if you don't seek the appropriate care and uh, get actually tested for these things, it's. I think we think about testing when we think about a blood disorder or something where we can put blood into a machine and get a number. But psychological testing is is paramount. You have to, at first have the right building blocks to actually work with before you can make someone better. Correct. So psychological testing that we're talking about here is more than just IQ. It's more than just you know, how smart you are. The question is, okay, IQ is the forest, but the trees are what we're interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you good at? Everybody's good at certain things in school and, and bad at other things. You know, I'm terrible at math and science. I'm good with English and languages. Does that mean I have a disorder? So psychological testing will help pull that apart uh, and sort of you know, help, I guess, guide the treatment down the road. Excellent. Let me give the number out one more time before we go to Danny, who's calling from Pascagoula. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Hey, Danny. How are you doing today? Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for calling. What's your question? Well, it's mostly uh, uh, being in that situation. Uh, you know, uh, myself, I... Uh, I had, uh, you know, being hyperactive when I was young and um, now dealing, which now I don't have to deal with that situation, but I also deal with people at my church that have anxiety, they're uh, they're losing focus, they're very, how you say, they're, they're over-anxious on things, the patience is, is going. It seems like, you know, our minds are so conditioned now because, you know, the way the media got people thinking that you... You, you you need to be in a, a way of relaxed focus. Uh, I noticed when I started eating bananas and eating nuts and blueberries, I know that had calmed me down, even calmed me more down than when I was taking Ritalin as a little a little a little boy. And now that uh like in my uh, program at the church, we have a lot of ladies, uh, whether old or younger. They have that anxiety problem. A lot of them on is Xanax and and different pills of that nature, but they were having a lot of the side effects. But when they kind of cut down on that a little bit and start eating more of the fruits and vegetables and nuts, they a lot of that had went away from them. Not to mention meditation and 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 getting like you said, like he said, getting the right right analysis, 
the right diagnosis. Because what it is, it's about money. A lot of people just, they, they're scared to go get the help. They're scared to get the, go to the doctor and, and, and really check because they feel every time it's always about the money. They're just trying to run this through a lot of tests. But, uh, but do you ever run into that problem as a doctor? Okay, so um, you raise a very good point about diet and food. Um, so um, uh, one thing to keep in mind here is this. There are a lot of uh, folks out there that will say that this diet or that diet will help ADHD. Um, some of it's true, some of it's not. What is true is this. If you can cut out red dye from your diet, right. um, it's, very, it's been shown, studies have shown that cutting out red dye improves attention and concentration. And you'd be surprised where red dye pops up. It's in everything. You know, it's in sports drinks. It's in soft drinks. It's in food. So cutting out red oh, dye. 40, yeah, number 40. That's right. And you also <laughs> mentioned a very good thing about um, nuts. Um, another thing that really helps is having omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. So things That's like... what I'm taking now, 3, 6, and 9. There you go. So, um, you know, almonds, uh, fish, you know, salmon, that kind of stuff. Um, a healthy diet is what you're alluding to. And healthy diets have been shown um, to help kids and adults with attention and concentration. So you're, you're smack on. You're right on, Danny. Yeah, eliminating all these refined foods, I think that's part of it too. Not just eating the good stuff, but then you're eating less of the the bad stuff, right? I mean, if you're hyperactive and you eat a big starchy, sugary meal, that can't help, yeah. right? Correct. Yeah, because you know it's so funny to say that because I got some ninety year olds and ninety seven year olds in my church, and they're so calm as can be, and so relaxed. But it seems like, even though that was the industrial age, it's like. I guess the foods were more less preservative, mm -hmm. and like you said, uh, what was the big a medicine back then? Bare aspirin. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so, so now it's like they're looking at us like they're so calm about situations, how to handle situations, but we're like, oh my God, life is over. What am I do? You know, so quickly. And yeah, I we're on this immediate thing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, since I've changed my diet, not only got to lose a little weight, but I noticed that omega is such a big thing in our lives. And if you can't take the fish, the flexi works for me because the fish gives me, uh, how you say, burp. Uh, oh, the fish oil? Right, right. <laughs> but I found that the flex is working for me, you know, and... Uh, and thank God there's still a lot of good doctors out there that care about the patient more than the dollar bill. Thank you, Lord. And <laughs> I hope you keep keep coming and helping us because that's what the people need, you know. But so many people can't deal with the medication and side effects. But if, if the nutrition can change in their lives or get them to be able to relax more and see themselves in the mirror and focus, then I, I find that it, it just makes a big difference. And I'm finding that out in a lot of the people in my, in, you know, that I deal with now, you know. Well, thank you so much for calling, Danny. And thank, thanks for your words and your experience. And thanks for the work yeah. you're doing in your church with your community. It, it sounds like you're definitely uh, on, on the right track. Yeah, and please MP, keep on. MPS, y'all keep making it happen. <laughs> thanks, Danny. Same to you. I want to give that number out one more time. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at women at mpbonline.org. On that note, Danny's got us all smiling with his positivity. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy for Women. I am Dr. Allie Brown. I am a surgical pathologist. My host today is Dr. Del- Dr. Delvin, Dr. David Elkin. I'm combining that. He is a child psychologist at the Center for Advancement of Youth at UMMC here in Jackson. Uh, he specializes in all things child psychology, practices, does a lot of administrative stuff. I hear people talk about you all the time, actually. Uh, they say, oh, I wish he saw more patients, but you're busy running that that, that center that you have now, so I think that takes away from some of that time. I wanted to touch on, uh, uh, let me just give the number before because we're, we're winding down to the last part of our show. So if you have a question or comments, this is the time to call in. Our phone lines are open before the show um, is over. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or email us at women at mpbonline.org. Uh, the, um, Danny, our friend from... Uh, from Pascagoula, who just called, was talking about anxiety. Uh, I feel like we think so much about ADHD and the autism spectrum, but what about kids who have anxiety and depression? Can you be depressed when you're just a kid? Absolutely. It happens. And what um, does it look like? Oftentimes, you know, we think of depression as adults as like the ads you see on TV, you know, the, the mom who can't get off the sofa while the dad's outside with the kids. You know, why can't she come join us kind of stuff? She has no energy. The sad dog with a leash in his mouth. Exactly. Oh, oh, it makes me so, breaks, breaks my heart. heart. Yeah. Um, but in kids, oftentimes depression presents as anger. Um, so we tell our, our trainees, if you see a kid, um, think mad is sad. Yeah, a kid who's acting out and angry may be depressed. So it's exactly the opposite. But you mentioned anxiety. You know, anxiety disorders are the main disorders you see in kids. You think autism spectrum disorder, you think ADHD, but anxiety is um, one of the main things that kids are wrestling with these days. Uh, we see a lot of kids with anxiety disorders. So, you know, my kids did. They don't like the dark. They don't like going to bed at night. How do you know when your child actually has anxiety and it's not just normal childhood fears and things like that? It starts interfering with their life. So, you know, if um, if a child, well, you know, most of us don't like the concept of germs or like, you know, you know, icky stuff. But if a child can't get through her day, let's say, without washing her hands a hundred times, you okay, now, now we've tipped over, you know, yeah. and it's normal to be afraid of the dark, um, but it probably doesn't affect their, their daily living, you know? Right. Unless like they work in the movie theater or something. That's true. But I'm bummed. All right. We have a call <laughs> on the line. We have Sarah who is calling from Fairhope, Alabama. Sounds like a very nice place. Sarah, how are you doing today? Happy Friday. I'm doing well. Awesome. <laughs> What's your question? Um, I have a four-year-old son who, um, you know, he's been going through, I guess, what they consider a speech delay. But I, I just wondered, you know, um, is it something that, I mean, a lot of doctors do recommend, you know, trying the ADHD because he processes kind of too fast. Um, so when he talks, he sounds kind of like a minion. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, but uh, he, you mentioned he had a, a speech delay. Well, that's kind of where they grouped him because when he's trying to communicate, he'll throw in words mixed with like babble. 
Um, but he, he's already reading at age four at a fairly high level and, you know, can count to 100. His, his scholastic level is, is great, but his, you know, ability to interact socially has been kind of stunted by this strange speech. And he works with a speech therapist, but I didn't know if there was another, you know, should he be tested for anything else? Okay, so I think you probably might want to consider having him tested uh, for something else, like you said. I'm glad that you've you've taken him to see a speech therapist. They're great people. We refer to them all the time. Um, But it sounds like what he's doing is he's – the word is a very fancy word, neologisms. He's creating sort of new words. He throws words together and and puts words in there. And it's almost like it's pressured speech. Is that right? Like he's trying to get a bunch out and he can't talk fast enough? Yes, that's kind of exactly it. Okay, and that that could be um, that his, like you said, his brain is processing really quickly, and so um, interventions designed to slow that down might help. Um, okay. So that that's that's something to consider as well. Um, he probably um, just to sort of comfort you a little bit. He probably, like you said, is very bright. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the, the engine's running at eight thousand RPMs up there, and it's hard <laughs> it's hard to function in a world where everybody else w- works at two thousand RPM. <laughs> Right. Yeah. He does look at us all the time like, don't you get what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, I just didn't know, like, I guess I don't know who to go to or what intervention um, would be the next step after the speech therapist. I would take him to see a psychologist, and I would take okay. him to uh, have, have testing. Now, he's only four, um, so right. the, the kind of things they can do are limited, obviously. Uh, we're much better at testing kids six and above. But we okay. can start getting some baseline ideas of where his brain is and some of his strengths and weaknesses. And I'd want to, um, in a sense, have that laid out in front of you so that you can then uh, work on his weaknesses and strengthen his strengths. Okay, okay. Um, and so that would, I would start then with those psychiatrists. That would be the who like- would run the testing. Yeah, I would do a psychologist. Um, a psychologist. Yeah, um, because they're they're more specialized in testing. You may want to involve a psychiatrist down the road if medication is involved. Okay, I, I'd love to avoid that. I mean, we've got his diet under control. He's really quite limited on his sugar intake, but you know, uh, I don't know how to slow him down. <laughs> I don't want to dumb him down, or you know. Exactly. Maybe you don't want to really slow him down necessarily. Just a way to kind of be able to be more functional. You know. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, thank you so much because at least I know where I'm going next. <laughs> well, awesome. We're glad, so glad to hear that, and good luck to you, Sarah. There are some good people at um, at University of South Alabama, by the way. So they're close to you guys. Um, so yeah. zip on over to Mobile. Okay, I will. Thank you so much. You have a great day. You too. You too. Bye, Sarah. You mentioned something, and let me let me give the number real fast because we do have a couple more minutes. If you want to call, it's one eight seven seven. MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You mentioned anger in children, and I think this is something. It really it sounds important for for parents to understand because having an angry child, a child that acts out, is probably a, one of the more common stressful things for for a parent. Uh, what what does that mean? What does that look like more specifically? Well, one of the first things that I want to pull apart is: is this child in a bad mood all the time? Okay, they're just constantly in a bad mood. Or is this child generally in a pretty good mood, but then when um, they're told no or they can't do something, then they act up? That's different. Those are two different um, types of kids. And you interact 
basically with both of them the same way in terms of intervention, but those are two different, in a sense, disorders going on. You so know. depression's more likely in the one who's agitated all the time, I would imagine? Um, it could be. It could be disruptive mood dysregulation mm-hmm. disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you want a, a good um, psychologist, a psychiatrist to take a look at that child. But one of the first things you want to think about is you know, we all go through mood swings. We're sure. happy, then we're sad. Then we're happy, then we're sad. So some of that could be just normal. And also, you know, kids are trying things on for size. You know, they want um, pie for breakfast, and you say no, and they tantrum. Good well, point. in a sense, that's normal. Uh, how you respond to that is important, and you just sort of calmly say no. And if they continue to tantrum, you put them in timeout. Oh, so, so easy to say. Um, so, you mean I'm not supposed to start screaming louder than they are? Correct. Correct. <laughs> right. That's which is what I want to do, especially in the car. You know, like that's right. When you reach your arm blindly back there, it's like, Quit it! leave your brother alone. Yeah, my girls call that the no look slap. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so try not to react the way your child is acting. Is that what you're telling me? Act right. like an adult. Right. So you you don't follow <laughs> the child. You 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 lead the child. So ah. if the child is going in a certain direction, like raising her voice or his voice, you don't go with them. That they're they're driving the boat. You go the opposite direction and you lower your voice and go right to punishment, perhaps, you know, time out or removing privileges. But the parent's in charge and she needs to feel empowered to go the direction that ought to be gone, not the direction the child is going. How about the one more chance? Uh, careful with that. I'd be, again, it's much better to be consistent than right. Be consistent. Be one firm. more chance. One more chance. One nope. more chance. And you don't want, you know, it, I'm going to do this. Don't make these threats you can't hold up to, correct? If you say you're going to do it, you better do it. Yeah, be so, careful what you say, though. Yeah, so don't say uh, you're, you have no screen time for six months because <laughs> that's probably unlikely to happen, right? Right. And how about the things that you uh, choose to discipline your child with? Do you have any advice on that? Taking things away, rewarding, um, grounding, those types of things. What tends to work best? It differs with every child, but the thing to keep in mind is this. A child is screaming from the mountaintop what's important to him or her. They're, they're telling you things. So if you can pay attention, they really want TV, take away the TV. Um, and if a child reacts you know, by tantruming when you remove the TV, that's a good thing. That just showed you that you got the right thing in place. Oh, that's a good point to end on there. <laughs> right. You let them let you know that what you're doing is effective. Thank you so much for coming today, Dr. Elkin. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Um, and, and thank you to our callers today. Our producer is Jay White. Our call screener is I'm trying to look. Oh, it's also Jay White. No wonder I didn't see anybody. There's nobody else there. Jay White is the man doing everything back there. This uh, Today's Southern Remedy um, um, our, as I just said, was engineered and call screener Jay White. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 from for Southern Remedy for Women. I just can't even close the show. I'm so excited. Stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.